Hello and welcome to Falmouth Vineyard's audio podcast. We're really grateful that you're joining us today. Our vision is to see Cornwall coming alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. To find out more about who we are or how to connect with us, visit falmouthvineyard.org. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We're starting a new sermon series this morning. Um, in the run-up to Easter, on rhythms. Oh, there it is. This, I, I found this picture, and I was like, oh, some people might not get this is talking about rhythms, because you'd be like, swell, surf, what's that got to do with rhythms? But you see, look at the waves, that perfect groundswell lining up, getting that rhythm. And when you're surfing, you're trying to get into a rhythm of nice turns, it's a bit like when you're snowboarding, get into that rhythm and feeling when to paddle out, when to wait, when for the next set to come through when to take a break, what's coming next. And I'm kind of like, in my mind, Rhythms is all about making enough time to go surfing in my life. Oh, no, no, it's make enough time for God, yes. So, how do we build the right kind of rhythms in our lives to establish the right kind of life you want to have with God and with other people? That is what this series is kind of about. How do you put the right things in first? And why is this important? Because without rhythm, this is blasting straight into it, without rhythm, we just react to what life is throwing at us again and again. We live life reacting to our daily circumstances. We give ourselves to whatever is urgent and loud rather than what is important. If you take a bird's eye view of the direction our society, our culture has kind of gone in over the last 20 or 30 years, with the increase in technology, we had, may have had the expectation that we would be less busy because of tech advances. Surely we wouldn't need to do this anymore because a robot will do my cleaning and my washing up and everything else. And when the invention of kind of high-speed connectivity, I can speak to anyone I want, anywhere in the world, whenever I would like, we'd kind of hope that that would lead to a kind of sense of greater um, sense of well-being. But it feels as though, and I couldn't find a stat to back this up, with an increase in connectivity and opportunity has led to more anxiety rather than more leisure, free time, time in general. But I couldn't find, as I said, a stat to back that up. Effectively, the world and the culture we live in will do nothing to help us live in peace. We tell ourselves if you're anything like me, that when our circumstances change, then things will be better. When my exams are over, then I will have more balance in my life. When my kids are all at school, those of you at the back, I will have more balance and more time. When I get that promotion, when that thing comes through, then I'll be sorted. I'll just have more time to do stuff. When I finish uni... Oh, it's just a bit of a crazy season at the moment. When I finish uni, I used to think, when I finish uni, I have more time and more money. And no, <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. After the year end, after we've closed everything down, then I'll have more money. After my kids have left school, oh, do you know what? Then I'll have more time. When I retire, then I'll have all this time. I'm looking at retired people like, no, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Then I'll have more time. But from what I have seen, if you don't manage the time you have, you won't manage more time any more effectively. In the passage we're going to be looking at, Jesus offers us, as he does with our lives, a different way, an alternative way, the way of the kingdom. 
And this is a kind of, I'm, I, I preach in this series to myself of putting in healthy rhythms in my life so that I can have the most effective life possible for the kingdom. Not necessarily the most comfortable life, not necessarily more time, but more effectiveness for the kingdom. Sometimes, if you're anything like me, the answer to life's problems of time is just to work harder, longer evenings into the night to cram more work in. But recently I've been learning that life flows from capacity. And capacity is built in boundaries, and boundaries are created through having the right priorities. If you imagine life, your life, as a, 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 like a, a car on a motorway, you can travel in one of three, sometimes even four lanes. If we live our lives in the fastest lane, going as fast as we can, we have no margin, no hard shoulder to be able to just move and adapt with what life throws us. We're already going flat out. We can't possibly add anything else in. Add in an unexpected trial or change in life circumstances, and we have no spare capacity. And as I say, as a disclaimer, I'm on a journey with this. I'm definitely not the finished article. But I wanted to give you a picture to help you remember this talk. So, over the last few years mostly pre-COVID, we have loaded up our car and what has felt like all of our worldly possessions, including our bikes, um, with a roof box to drive down into France. Um, we camp, because that's the only way we can afford to do it. But before the epic journey can begin, the task of packing happens. Now, do you know who, who's the chief packer in your household? Would it be your mum or your dad or maybe like someone's Jedi child? In my household, is me. And this, if you're camping, involves taking literally everything you own and trying to shove it into a car or a trailer and everything else. Um, you have the master list. Do you have a master list to go camping with? Things you have to remember to take, or maybe your parents have got it. Um, and for me, this is my responsibility. And I have to make sure with my family that they are absolutely clear that if it's not in the hallway... It's not going in the car, okay? You can't just rock up right at the end and be like, oh, Dad, here's my case. No, the car is packed. The car is packed. It's not coming in. Um, I, ideally, I like to be able to see out the back of the car. Like, I'm not one of those people that drives just on the wing mirrors. I like to be able to see out. Even if it's just a tiny slither, I like to be able to see out the back. Even if it's through the bikes, I'm trying to put them up a bit higher, so I can see outside the back. And it's like luggage Tetris. Do you ever play Tetris, Game Boy? Oh, classic game. Um, so we put everything, the cases, the tables, tables and chairs. You need to put a barbecue in there, massive gas bottle, paddleboard, fishing rod, big plastic tubs of cooking stuff. You know what it's like if you're camping. It's an absolute nightmare. And just when you think you're nearly there, someone rocks up. Oh, here's the three bodyboards. Well... That's great, but where am I meant to put these three bodyboards? They can't go in. Oh, here's the food. Well, it would have been nice to have that at the beginning with everything else before we put everything else in. But they've got to fit in somehow. Camping is painful, and I've said this to you a lot. I say this every, every year. My, my message to you is camping is hard, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's character building. It's like this glimpse of the kingdom of like this. Anyway. Let's dive into the Bible before I go off beast. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, throughout the series, I want to hear from Jesus on what 
the priorities that he had, the rhythm that he had and has, and the message he has for us. If Jesus has the words of eternal life, we need to listen to what he says about the rhythm we need to put in place in our lives. Would that be okay? So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. This is a section of the Sermon of the Mount. We're not going to go through the whole thing. It's an incredible sermon that Jesus preached to the gathered crowd. It's probably the most famous sermon ever preached. If you want to meditate on some scripture over the next few weeks, spending some time looking at what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount is phenomenal. In this series on rhythms, I'm conscious of not just loading you with a bigger to-do list but to show a different way of thinking about how we order our lives and what we prioritize to enable us to flourish. So, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to kick it off in verse 25. Just says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worrying, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, knows that you need them. But, memory verse, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I want to focus in on that verse 33. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's just pray. Lord God, would you just um, challenge us, inspire us? Um, Would you confront us with your truth this morning? Lord, I want to convey your message with no um, judgment, with, with just grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're going to need to step through what is his kingdom, what is his righteousness, and what are all of these things that will be added to you as well. This is a powerful verse from a powerful sermon, and my challenge for you would be this. Do you believe it's actually true? Or is it just kind of advice to add into the mix of life, kind of self-advice that we fill our Instagram feeds with and everything else? Is it kind of like one of those things that's just, well, it's interesting, I'll add it to the list, Jesus, but um, I've got lots of other life priorities at the moment. Could this be true? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff that you've been worrying about will be given to you as well. I read this passage and I read this verse and there is weight to it. There's impact, there's authority in this. Of course there is in all the Bible, but some verses pop out and go, ooh, if that's true, that changes everything. So let's pause. Is this truth? Do you trust what Jesus is saying? Because it seems to me that this has weight and these verses, if it's true, change everything. 
it's not just another piece of self-advice, like, come on, guys, eat more vegetables. It's more than that. Do some exercise. It's deeper than that. It's something that you read, and it seems to resonate with the reality of God. There's a deeper truth, his truth, the way we were designed to live our lives. Almost as if in this principle, Jesus is revealing a kind of divine way of life, a divine way of his peace. So let's start with what he says. Seek his kingdom first. If I gave you, break down into groups, you've got five minutes, explain this, what is the kingdom? How would you get on? I did a series on the kingdom of God um, when we were meeting at the Maritime Museum. It feels like a long, long time ago. It's probably over two years ago. You can go back on, I think it's on our podcast if you want to listen to it. It, the, the kingdom of God is not a fringe theology for some of the church. It's not a modern concept inv- invented in the 70s. It's the central message of Jesus. The first thing that Jesus says to the crowd, the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. Repent and believe the good news. In the Gospel of Luke, the parables of Jesus start with Jesus saying things like, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom is the message of Jesus. Now, in Jesus' interactions with rulers and the religious leaders and even the disciples, Jesus was continually having to clarify what the kingdom of God was like and how they thought it was was wrong. We come to this concept 2,000 years after Jesus was walking on the earth. They were under Roman occupation. They had a recent history and political history of military power and influence as the kingdom of Israel. They imagined the kingdom would be a political reality where the nation would rise up and overthrow the Romans, kick out the occupying nation and start influencing the region again. It's kind of what the disciples ask Jesus after he's risen from the dead when he meets with them in Acts chapter 1. Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Their view of the kingdom was of this political power. But Jesus is bringing and demonstrating a different type of kingdom. His kingdom is his presence and his power the presence and power from heaven. The kingdom is among us, and we can enter into this presence and power. Not only that, but this presence and power can flow through us as we are authorized, as we have authority to move in this kingdom, to extend this presence and power of heaven where we go. You can kind of think of the kingdom of God as the effective influence of God, where what God wants to happen, happens. The famous line from the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know you have your own kingdom? Kingdom of Nathan. It's pretty good in my little kingdom, thank you very much. My own sphere of effective influence where I can control my time, what I do with my money, who I talk to, where I live, where I work. It's my sphere of influence, my house, my castle, my kingdom, my car my kingdom. Great way of illustrating your kingdom is your car, if you have one, or just imagine you do have one if you don't. My car is my kingdom. I can sit in my throne. I can control how hot or cold it is, whether the windows are open or shut. I can control where I'm going. I can control how fast I'm getting there. I can control what's on the stereo. And as you have older children, that becomes very, very important. Or I can turn off whether they can open their windows or not now. <laughs> I can turn off whether there's a bit more bass. 
a bit less. I can turn off whether the, the split is like left or right or front or back. What type of music am I listening to? Are there other people in the car? I can control all of this stuff. But sometimes I have to take other people in my kingdom. And there is a clash of kingdoms. Ruth likes the car warm. And if we're on a long journey, I basically find I'm falling asleep because it's too toasty. The kids don't like my music. Like, what is going on? They don't want to go to, they don't want to go where I want to go. They don't want to go to B&Q and then the dump. They don't, just don't want to go there. They want to go to the play park and to the beach and all this kind of stuff. But it's daddy's day. Daddy's got jobs to do. We all have our own kingdoms. And we need to decide whether we will yield our kingdoms to God's kingdom. Would we yield our influence and authority to God's influence and authority? Would we submit to the king? The incredible message of the gospel is that the power and presence of God's kingdom is available to us through the grace, through the good news of Jesus. As we enter into new life with Jesus, his authority and power comes through us as we yield, as we surrender, as we say, your kingdom first, Lord God, not mine. Not my will, but yours. Your rules, not mine. I'll live by your word and your spirit, not mine. Your Lord God, your priorities and your values, not mine. We can submit to Jesus' authority in our lives and yield our own as we serve him, as we surrender to him. Now, I bet when I said a moment ago, could you explain the kingdom of God in five minutes, some of you have thought, is he talking about the kingdom of heaven? Is he talking about heaven? Is he talking about a time when I die? Is he talking about something in the afterlife? Isn't the kingdom of God something that happens to you when you die? Isn't life with God about getting to heaven? Isn't that the whole point of Christianity at all? Isn't life with God about getting to heaven? Almost like a kind of like end-of-life insurance policy. Like, oh, have you said a few words, prayed a prayer? Don't worry, when you get to the end, you'll be going to heaven. But if you read the New Testament and listen to the words and preaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles what you realize is that they aren't primarily interested in getting you into heaven. They're primarily interested in getting heaven into you. The presence and power of God is available. It's at hand. It's near. As you commit to follow and yield our lives to Jesus and submit to him, let him lead, let him drive, let him be Lord and King of our lives and surrender in our day-to-day -day life the peace and, and power of heaven is available to us because we can't enter into this kingdom and just do whatever we want because we've yielded our kingdom to his kingdom we take on his priorities his values um it's now no longer our kingdom we have to live in a different way to experience this power and this presence. And I love some of the... I don't know if, you listen, if you're podcast people, so I love listening to Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer, um, two great authors and leaders of different churches. Well, Mark's, um, John Mark Comer's doing just um, books now. But they, they talk about this in the Cultural Moment podcast from a few years back. They say that our society wants the kingdom. They want this justice. They want this peace. They want this power but they don't want the king. They want the kingdom without the king. 
They want all of the benefits of the kingdom of God, all of the good stuff of heaven, but they don't want to submit to the king himself. That's not the way it works. So what is his kingdom? What about what is his righteousness? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to have a concept of what this righteousness thing is if we're going to seek it and if we're going to prioritize it. So if you look earlier on in the passage, in the sermon, Jesus has already talked about this righteousness. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says this in the same sermon. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the disciples and you and me might be slightly freaked out by that, going, what? We've got to be more religious, more righteous than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. These guys were super religious. They had memorized the entire Torah, the beginning of the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. You could start a verse and they would be able to continue it. These guys were dedicated and devoted. They fasted and prayed regularly and extendedly. They gave of all of their wealth, sometimes beyond what they actually biblically were meant to be giving. They'd given up nearly all of their earthly possessions. And what they had left or their income, they gave back to the temple. Like these guys religiously followed the law and even added more laws and traditions in to make them even more super holy. So Jesus says, You've got to be more righteous than these guys to get into the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine his disciples being like, ooh, that's difficult teaching. The interesting thing Jesus does after saying that is he goes through some of the law. Verse 21, verse, very next verse, Matthew 5, 21. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. You shall not murder. But I tell you the truth, whoever is angry will be subject to judgment. Or verse 27, if you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. And Jesus carries on through this chapter, homework, read through the chapter. He carries on through this chapter, and if I was going to summarize his flow of teaching, it would be this. You have heard it said that behavior matters, but I tell you it's the posture and the nature of your heart, that's the real deal. Or you have heard it said that your actions are really, really important. But I tell you the truth, that your heart inclination is the thing that needs to change. Religious people love to manage behavior. So religious people sometimes within the church have mostly been focused on whether you drink or smoke, and that's kind of the bench line. How are you doing? Well, I haven't had a cigarette this week, so, oh good, you're doing all right. It's like, I don't think that's the kind of benchmark of discipleship, is it? Because it's easy to judge people just on behavior or what what the Pharisees did. But what escapes the judgment of, what can escape the judgment of religious people is that where someone is judgmental or just generally being unkind, lacking generosity, being unmerciful, whether someone is loving deeply or whether they're encouraging other people, This kind of stuff is not, doesn't even come into this discussion of what does it look like to be righteous. It's all about the outworking and the outward behavior. If we're interested in transformation, which I would love to encourage us as a community to go on this journey this term, we should value love, value kindness, value peacemaking, generosity, 
these attitudes that actually could affect and change the whole culture we live in. Religious people can focus on the outside, but it's, it's possible to change our behavior and be dead on the inside. That's what Jesus says to the Pharisees a bit later. You are whitewashed tombs. Harsh words. You're like a grave that's been tarted up. You're like a grave that's had a makeover and painted really nice, but actually on the inside, it's just dead bones. You can imagine the Pharisees and disciples are going, oh my goodness. Because Jesus' righteousness is different to the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's the good news that God came to set us free from the inside out, not the outside in. The Bible says we, want, we are messed up more than we can possibly know. In, in comparison to a holy and perfect God, we are not very good. We are just, that's an understatement. We are not very good at all. But the good news, good news is that what we could not do for ourselves in our self-righteousness, he does for us. Suffering, Jesus suffering on the cross, dying on our behalf, rising from the dead, puts his life into us. And that leads to a right relationship with God. It comes to, from yielding to him and surrendering to him and saying, that reality is my reality. Joff talked about during worship being clothed in the righteousness that comes from Jesus. The grace that comes from God works from the inside out into our behaviors, not the outside in. Last page, coming into land. Ooh, long one, this one. If you seek, I'll edit it on YouTube. If you seek this power and this presence of his kingdom, yielding ourselves to him, seeking his righteousness and his kingdom, not our self-righteousness and the behavior and the outward appearance, things will shift in our lives from the inside out. So we need to finish. I don't want you to hear this morning, just try harder. Come on, do better. That's not what it's about. The message is not just about us trying harder. Instead, it's about resting in the fact that he has made us right. Resting in that identity that through the cross and because of his own blood, he is transforming us from the inside out. That is the offer of the gospel. So if you're here this morning thinking, well, it just sounds too good to be true. Like, do I just have to yield and surrender to what God has already done? That's that step of faith of saying, oh, that event, the cross, the suffering on our behalf, the rising from the dead as a first fruit, and demonstrating that sin has been conquered, death has been overcome, us placing our faith in that leads to our new birth and new life. That is the offer of the gospel. That's the offer that's on here this morning. If you'd like to take that step and say, do you know what, I just need to submit my life. My life's a mess. I can't do it by myself. Do you know, I've tried to be good. I'm not very good at being good. Like, I always mess up. I need to yield my kingdom to his kingdom. We'd love to be able to pray for you at the end, if that's you. We'd love to be able to pray and take, yeah, help you on that journey. I started by talking about the horrificness that is camping. And packing the car, you're faced with this whole hall or driveway full of bags to go in this car which doesn't feel big enough. It's not a TARDIS. What's the biggest thing and the most important thing that needs to go in first? And what can you fit everything in around? I think Jesus in this passage is challenging us 
to put the thing, the one thing in first. His, the pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness. Get this thing in first and everything else will flow from it. Prioritize his kingdom. Seek his kingdom that God's will would be done in Penryn as in heaven, in Falmouth, as in heaven, in Redruth, as in heaven, in Perimwell, as in heaven, on the lizard, as in heaven. I said earlier that life flows from capacity, and capacity is found through having the right priorities. Maybe God, even this morning, is calling us to reset our priorities. What's the big thing that needs to go in the diary? First, like prioritizing time with God, extending, seeking, pursuing his kingdom, his justice, his mercy, and his righteousness. If you looked at your diary or your credit card statement or your overdraft, maybe where do you spend your energy and your time? If I looked at your diary, what would that tell me about your priorities and what you're placing your hope in? The biggest thing is the, biggest, is the thing we generally place our hope in in our diaries? Where are we placing our hope? What else are we seeking first? So I don't, I don't want to leave you with a nice like, oh, this is the concept, this is the theory. Like, okay, what would it look like for you this week to seek the kingdom first and his righteousness? Is there, are there things as I've been talking to you like, oh, that probably needs to drop down the priority list. There's something that needs to rise up. Actually, there's a relationship I need to develop rather than a task that needs to be performed. What are we putting our hope in as we start this new year? And I'm hoping that as this series develops and we look at some of these kind of ways that we can practice God's presence, the ways that we can spend time with him and focus on him, we would enjoy his presence and take on that new identity, this new life of Jesus as we learn about Sabbath, as we learn about fasting, as we learn about prioritizing like physical fitness, relationships, all this stuff that we're going to be looking at. Um, it's going to be exciting. So, oh, that's more than enough from me. I felt like, oh, didn't feel like Anyway, do you want to stand? We, at the end, always have a chance to like respond. Maybe God has been challenging you during the talk or during worship. It may be that you've come in this morning, I was aware last week, actually if people coming in for like, oh, I've got a job interview coming up, or something that actually I'd love someone to stand with me and pray with me for. Or maybe you're making some life decisions at the moment, you've got a chance to reorientate these priorities. We'd love to stand with you in that. So we just invite God's presence. When we say invite God's presence, we know God's already here. It's not as if God needs our permission to turn up in the room, that would be crazy. But it's just almost like a, us telling ourselves that God's welcome. So I'd just encourage you just to yeah, see what God wants to do. Lord God, we, you are so welcome here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, the brutal truth that if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all these things that we're worrying about, that we're anxious about will be added to us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come in your holiness and in your pure and pureness, in your purity? And Lord God, I, I pray you would just highlight to us where we've got it the wrong way around, where we've focused on behavior instead of being. We've focused on what we look like on the outside rather than who we're becoming on the inside.
فیلو کار Actually, some for some of us, it's it's a time of life, or a, even this kind of time of year, where we've got the opportunity to shape rhythm and life kind of priorities, and that God's saying, actually, this is the time to get this big stuff in. And maybe for some, maybe that was for some just the first time you'd heard this offer of God, of this restoration into relationship because of what Jesus has done. And maybe you want to make that step of faith. We'd love to pray for you. So, we're going to have the opportunity to respond. You may want to come up and make that almost, almost like the declaration of sometimes moving in the physical, move something in the spiritual. Do you know what you mean when you actually take a step out and say, okay, I'm going to be, could be accountable to this. God just blesses that. So, it's going to be space at the front and space at the back. But I'm also going to keep my eye out. If you're engaged with God and want someone to come to you and pray, then we'd love for that to happen as well. Um, Music's going to come on. YouTube stream, thank you for joining us. It's been great to have you with us. Um, subscribe and like. <laughs> ding, ding, give you a notification every time we go live. Um, but um, we will see you next week. No, next week, because blessing the community. Week after that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, this is a chance. Like, we, we have this opportunity to do business with God. Don't go, if you know God's on your case for something, don't go without someone praying for you. Would that be all right? Front, back, where you are. Or if you've come with someone, you want them to pray with you, go for that as well. Music's going to come on. Okay?